Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And, Jim, our good news is there's probably not any more indictments coming from the Mueller probe. At least that's what a lot of folks are concluding ABC News, the White House, Congress, and the American public are all still waiting for special counsel Robert Mueller to complete his investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Mueller's team has not filed any new cases in two months, and sources tell ABC News no more indictments are expected as a result of the probe. When it's all said and done, it's expected the report won't condemn anyone not actually charged with committing crimes. But will Mueller's report be released to the public? Let it come out. Let people see it. That's up to the attorney general, President Trump said. So, uh, Jim, uh, I guess the mo- the fewer indictments for people really, really close to the president of the United States is probably a good thing. You've got uh, Democrats already pivoting and saying, well, even if there's no collusion proven, Mueller surely has dug up some things on financial issues that Trump's been involved in, whether it's related to Cohen or whatever. So they're, they're clearly not going to be satisfied if no collusion is is uh, discovered here and, and reported. But the good news is, is that we're almost at the end of the Mueller process. Uh, and it looks like that we're probably not going to see what every Democrat just assumed we were going to get. Yeah. Uh, so listeners should understand that as Greg and I are taping this, I am frantically hitting refresh on both my web browsers and Twitter <laughs> just because there's like people are acting like it might come out today. I don't know if it's the idea of up oh, here comes the Friday afternoon news dump or or what the situation is. But there really is this, you know, tense mood of anxiety and anticipation amongst reporters who cover the Mueller stuff. And does this mean they know something? I don't know. It certainly seems to be more than usual. Um, I went back and looked, Craig. We've been hearing the Mueller report has been winding down since last summer. Um, <laughs> right. It's March. So this is a long, slow wind down. Uh, the other thing which is kind of fascinating about this is that this was an ABC News report. Mika uh, Brzezinski was discussing this on Morning Joe this morning, and you could kind of see she was reading the teleprompter and hadn't really thought through what she was saying until halfway through the sentence. So it comes to, you know, sources are saying that Mueller office will have no more indictments. <laughs> This, this little combination of, of surprise and incredulity and disappointment, all just in a manner of words and, and in the, in the inflection there was kind of fascinating. Look, I, you know, again, we don't know. I assume Jonathan Carl's sources on this are good, but who knows? I mean, he doesn't work for BuzzFeed, right? Um, I would not doubt, though, that there were probably Democrats who were convincing themselves that at some point this process was going to end with an indictment of Donald Trump Jr., Uh, or Jared Kushner, or Ivanka, or or maybe Steve Bannon, or anybody else associated with the 2016 Trump presidential campaign. Um, It's, you know, obviously, there there are a bunch of high-level folks, uh, Manafort, Michael Cohen, this is nothing to sneeze at. Um, But if this is all done, I think if you're a Democrat, and I think if you were looking at the Mueller uh, report as as the the pebble that was going to start the avalanche, or as the the impetus for the effort to remove the president, I think you're feeling a little little nervous right about now. Now, again, we don't know what's in the report. We don't know um, when it's going to come out. I, my, when I wrote about this yesterday in the corner, I observed, Greg, I think a lot of Democrats figured <coughs> they'd have it by now. 
uh, because impeachment is a process. You're, you know, last time we did, did this, it took five months. You can't do this sort of thing overnight. You need to have judiciary hearings. You need to hear from witnesses. You need to go through the whole process. Then you go to the, assuming the House votes for impeachment. And I think with Democrats controlling the House, that's pretty likely. Uh, then you have the Senate trial. Barring Mueller finding something really huge, I don't think Senate Republicans will say, OK, let's remove Trump. So you'd go through a five-month process knowing it will end with Trump still being, remaining president of the United States, Greg, and then it would go into the 2020 presidential primary <laughs> beginning in January of, of next year. It would really be this weird, you know, five to six months spent, okay, we must remove President Trump from office through impeachment. He would not succeed. And then immediately Democrats would say, okay, it's time to remove President Trump from office through the ballot box. And I don't think that would, I think, you know, even... Uh, a whole bunch of Americans who are, are frustrated with Trump would find that process exhausting. So we don't know exactly what it's going to hold. But if that ABC report is accurate, I think there'd be a whole bunch of deeply disappointed Democrats around Washington uh, if and when this comes to pass. Yeah, and I don't get the sense, although who really knows, but I don't think get the sense that Bob Mueller would pull a Jim Comey and uh, you know explain the whole laundry list of uh, things he found distasteful or even potentially troublesome legally about Trump, and then just say, "But I, I, I don't know any prosecutor who would actually press charges on this." So goodbye, everybody. Yeah, and then the next thing, which kind of which is worth noting here, is that um, at least according to Rod Rosenstein's assessment and a couple letter a letter he wrote to Grassley, um, unless you're indicting somebody, uh, special counsel's report is not supposed to say this guy is a bad guy. Um, that the special counsel has the authority. The only thing I can think of is a question of the president of the United States and the president can't be indicted. Uh, or at least there's some people who argue about whether the president of the United States can be indicted while he's in office. But all of these other folks, if you're Mueller, you're not supposed to go into a, a great length talking about, well, I'm not pressing charges, but I think Donald Trump Jr. is a terrible guy with terrible character, did all kinds of like. There's not supposed to be that stuff, that kind of um, gray area, that sort of thing where you denounce somebody or attack their character and actions, but you don't actually go ahead and indict them. Now, we don't know exactly how this is going to shake out, but if you, if not even that's in it, I think the perception will be that it's very much a dud, um, although lawyers very much may argue whether or not, look, it's certainly, considering the amount of time they did, is probably going to be an exhaustive report. But again, if Mueller didn't find evidence to charge somebody, I think that's got to be about as solid an exoneration as you're going to get. All right, let's move on to our bad martini now. And uh, while a Mueller report with no more indictments could give the president a bit of moral high ground, let's see how he's spending that moral high ground. <laughs> All right, let's go to Politico. New England Patriots owner John Kraft. I'm sorry, Robert Kraft. He just seems like a John who was caught up in a Florida <laughs> prostitution sting last month, might appear at the White House before he appears in court. President Donald Trump wants Kraft to join his players at the White House this spring for a celebration of their February Super Bowl victory, a prospect that has White House aides worried that it could turn a feel-good photo op into an embarrassing media spectacle. Trump has told staffers he wants Kraft there when the reigning NFL champions visit this spring, according to a senior White House official who said the president and Kraft had spoken since Kraft was charged late last month. And uh, for those who didn't see the latest development legally in that story a few days ago, the prosecutors are willing to make the charge go away if Kraft basically admits that he would have been guilty if the case had gone to trial. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of uh, the president standing by his buddy here? There are a lot of folks who will say, ah, this is just, you know, Jim, the Jets fan, wanting to do one more dance on the uh, uh, on the grave of Robert Kraft's reputation. By the way, I, I salute your joke there, Greg, because back, way back when Elliot Spitzer 
had a show on CNN. I was really hoping CNN would invite me to be a talking head for some segment. And then I would just call him John in every answer to every question and wait, see how long it took for him to notice. That's, that's a good way to never get invited back, I suppose. But anyway, Probably, yes. um, what does the president get by having Robert Kraft there at this event? If, God forbid, any of my friends were caught in the circumstance that Robert Kraft was, I think I'd have, there would need to be some sort of demonstration of this is a bad thing. You're not supposed to do this. And it's not just like the using prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. Look, the place was tied to human trafficking, right? This, this, is, this, is, you know, this is really shady, unsavory behavior. Uh, we can argue about whether the law is going after him more because he's the owner of the Patriots and he's something of a celebrity, or whether he's getting kind of a slap on the wrist because of it. But either way, if you're president of the United States, yeah, I can hear the argument of, ah, you know, Trump's, Trump's reputation can't get any worse than it is, so what difference does it make? Again, I don't know what Robert Kraft has done to elicit this kind of, it was like, Trump demonstrates very little loyalty to anybody else who worked for him, but he's loyal to Robert Kraft. And that just strikes me as completely back-ass words. Uh, I, I just can't, uh, cannot understand the logic there. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we'd really rather that the Mr. Kraft did not attend this ceremony, um, until the, at least until the legal matter is resolved, if nothing else, if for no other reason that. I don't think you necessarily, again, I, there's nothing wrong with saying, look, you've been associated with something really unsavory and we don't want you at the White House right now. Um, I know there's a certain argument, you know, this, this, this is a theory that uh, in, in the Trump era, or maybe even in, in our just our modern era, shamelessness is a superpower. Um, and if you never demonstrate any shame, you never feel any shame, you can do anything in this life. But I think it would be a good time for uh, the White House to attempt to reinstate that kind of opinion and say, hey, you know what? You get caught in these circumstances. Yeah, your invitation is going to get lost in the mail. Might be the only owner willing to bring his team to the White House these days, though. That, that That's could, the other thing, that right? So, yeah, so maybe that's the uh, the matter there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the 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 sports teams appearing at the White House has turned into such a consistent mini controversy for this White House of certain players staying home and boycotting, and do they deserve something better than Chick Fil A and all this kind of stuff? <laughs> that all in all, you know. These are supposed to be the happy photo op moments of the presidency. And somehow this White House manages to turn them into whole new controversies. There's a lot of our listeners right now saying, Jim, what could possibly be better than Chick-fil-A? So, well, I don't mind Chick-fil-A, but uh, <laughs> I, actually, I like Chick-fil-A a lot. But uh, yes. you know, if you went to the White House, do you think you want a little bit more? Um, you don't, yeah, anyway, you don't, they don't I, usually. Anyway, I can get Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I don't need the president of the United States to get me Chick-fil-A. When I go to the White House, I kind of want to get something I can't get everywhere, you know, down the street. But that's, uh, that's my take. Maybe this, this, this is my uh, just outside the Beltway snobbishness. <laughs> I guess so. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, for that, we go to the week, Matthew Walther, um, asking the question, why are Democrats so weird? He starts with the uh, fact from the CNN town hall that, Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper intentionally brought his mother to an X-rated film back in the 1970s. He followed that up by asking with near exasperation, why doesn't anybody ever ask a female candidate if they'd be willing to put a guy on the ticket? Uh, then there's Kamala Harris clearly lying when you look at the timestamp about listening to Snoop Dogg while smoking weed in college, since Snoop Dogg didn't have an album, neither did Tupac when she was in college, that sort of thing. We've got Elizabeth Warren with the Native American DNA. You've got... Every weird revelation about Beto O'Rourke, uh, you know, on and on and on. So uh, basically, uh, the argument here is that it might not matter because Trump's not exactly uh, free of eccentricities himself. 
or it just might blend together, Jim, and uh, the American people won't see Trump as all that weird because the Democrats can't put up a normal person either. So what's your big takeaway here? Yeah, I really enjoyed this column, Greg, and not just because uh, I've just, you know, been writing these 20 things columns today. It is Pete. So apparently Buttigieg is one of the ways you pronounce his name. I, at least it's, you know, I, the problem is I've seen at least three or four different columnists try to lay out the right way to pronounce uh, Mayor Pete's name. And each one of them is different. <laughs> Booty Edge is one. Buddha Edge Edge. Buddha Edge. Oh, so so I, I think it's Boot Edge Edge. But uh, if, if it's not, Mr. Mayor, I'm sorry. Uh, you, need to, you need to get everybody on, one, on the same page about how to pronounce your name. And speaking as Garrity, I, I know how it feels. Yeah, um, me too. But so the thing about, uh, you know, I've you know, tried to write great, about great detail. He's only 37 years old. Uh, the youngest person in this in this field, but one of the things that comes through, and I, I think this is one of the things that makes me less enamored of the mayor. Uh, obviously, he's a he's a Democrat. I'm not likely to to support him or like him for president of the United States to begin with. But Greg, I don't know what it was like up in in Michigan or, or you know where you were growing up, but occasionally in high school and college, you'd run into these ambitious young men who, at age 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 just became convinced that it was their destiny to be president of the United States of America. Uh, I, I ran into a bunch of these folks. I, I was a political geek. There's no two ways about that. But one, I never had those kind of ambitions for myself. I never saw myself as called to leadership or that I had some grant. Do you know what I predicted I'd be doing, Greg, when I was in high school? I imagined there'd be a thing called the internet. And every day I would just rant into a microphone. Um, <laughs> And somebody on the other end would take it all and make it sound coherent and funny and interesting and insightful. Um, but so the, the answer is, you know, that kid, you know, I mean, no, no wait about it. Booty Edge Edge was a, a you know, uh, uh, very, he was a valedictorian, class president, went on to Harvard, went to Oxford, McKinsey consultant. I mean, everything you're supposed to have in your resume is there. That's why I was saying yesterday, he's that oh so perfect kid your parents wished you were more like, you know. Um, but see, by, by the, but again, so all people who go into politics are kind of a little bit weird to begin with. Um, Hickenlooper is kind of a fascinating example. I think Hickenlooper is indisputably bizarre and weird, but not in the, hey, kids, I've got free candy coming to my windowless van type weird. He's much more of the, oh, oh, Hickenlooper's coming to the party? Oh, you got to see that. You, you have no idea what's going to happen when he shows up. Um, I think the, the nature of politics is one, you have to be a little bit of an egomaniac. You have to be a little bit of a narcissist. You have to believe that you alone are, are so unique and gifted that you must be in a position of leadership, that other people need your wisdom, they need your guidance, um, that you are you know, meant to, to be in this you know, kind of exalted position above everyone. Um, generally, these people might be smart, um, but see, what the weird thing about politics is that you can be very smart, you know, like, like inspitably, Booty Edge Edge is, you know, got that... Um, but it also takes some charisma. It also takes some uh, ability to persuade others. We've all seen people in politics who are indisputably bright, but who don't always uh, succeed at the ballot box or come campaigning time because they don't have that uh, charisma, natural likability, stuff like that. Um, Beta O'Rourke has got all kind of grief this week about uh, the we, you know, his teenage hacking, um, the rock band days, 
uh, all, all that kind of stuff. Again, you're talking about somebody who, you know, was spent a long time trying to find himself. And lo and behold, has decided, ah, as a candidate, right? So as a candidate, you're almost like some sort of reality show star. But I, I, I don't want to extend that metaphor too far, Greg, because that was the case. Someday we could end up with a reality show star ending up being president of the United States. No, come on. That would never happen. Right. Yeah. And, and so you think about the people who are on reality shows. They generally tend to stand out because their personalities are larger than life. Uh, sometimes they are the troublemaker. The, I would say the Omarosa, Greg. But uh, it's not like, you know, you don't have Omarosa types working in the White House. No. that's. that's oh, wait. So. We have the Omarosa working in the <laughs> Right, so you have this, this you know, there, there's kind of all of the, the incentives of the system are towards people who have very strong personalities, um, but also very driven, and, you know, and, and who generally have some sort of brightness. And, and obviously that driven ambition, um, you're, you're not going to find normal, laid back, relatively happy, easygoing. I, I think if you're a relatively normal, happy, easygoing person, great. You don't spend a lot of time thinking about running for president of the United States. You only do it. They talk, but they talk about the fire in the belly. And by the way, Greg, I, I used this comparison earlier today. Um, Booty Edge has, the, uh, has the, the Hindenburg in his intestines. So you talk about, you know, Fred Thompson really couldn't be bothered. It was very clear and didn't really want to have it. Didn't want to deal with all the grief and aggravation of running for president. Most of these people love it. They need it. They need the crowd. They need the affirmation. They need people chanting their name. Um, and it's an interesting question about whether there's something, a deep emotional neediness at the heart of most candidates. Uh, the other thing, which I think is accurate for not just most modern presidential candidates, you go back to almost every American president, they had a relationship with their father that was at least complicated. Sometimes in the case of George uh, W. Bush, he had a very successful and accomplished father. And he was like, hmm, how am I ever going to live up to this? How am I ever going to escape from his shadow? And in the case of George W. Bush, he escaped from his father's shadow by going into the oil business, running for politics, and ended up becoming president of the United States. <laughs> oh, and going to war with Iraq. Time is a flat circle, as they said in True Detective. Um, and then, or you have absent fathers like Barack Obama. Ronald Reagan's father was an alcoholic. Uh, people said that his kind of natural amiability came from his desire to be a peacemaker in a domestic household that was not always running so smoothly. You know, all of them have some sort of really interesting issue going on there that generally drives them, I think, to have maybe a little more ambition than the average person, maybe a little bit more drive and determination. But also, as I said, I think a need for a certain constant affirmation that only comes from being before the public and having this constant public re reaffirmation and, and saying, oh, you are great, chanting your name, applauding, all that kind of stuff. So um, fascinating stuff there. But generally, if Americans... You don't get normal people running for president, and that's why all of your presidents and presidential candidates generally turn out to be weirdos. Great hope for the future. Jim. It is. <laughs> it is. It's it's baked in the cake, America. Good luck. At least it's Friday. It is. It is Friday. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today, and tune in again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.